This is Together, an Ada Bible Church podcast about the world of marriage, where we attempt to invite you to explore the ways marriage works and doesn't work. From practical ways of learning to biblical inspiration, we invite you to listen to other professionals and couples to help enrich your marriage. Welcome to a new episode, Together listeners. This is Kelly Bonniewell, and today I'm going to be also with Corey Olson, and we are going to, we have just a great episode in store for you. Uh, If you are a new listener, what is Together? Together is an Ada Bible Church podcast that's totally devoted to marriage, and it comprises of basically three different things that we try to focus on. The first one is couples, and that is we really love to enter interview couples who've been married and kind of learn what have they learned in terms of growing and healing in their marriage, because we really believe that there's a power to hearing other people's stories and uh, learning from their failures and, and also learning about their successes. Another aspect is, of the podcast is uh, all of us co-hosts, there's five of us, Uh, We get together and we'll pick a topic and we will talk about it. Uh, The last episode, we talked about the importance of uh, the words that we use in our marriage and that they'd be positive and uplifting. And a little teaser, uh, in in a couple of episodes upcoming... All of us are going to be taking a marriage assessment called uh, Better Love. And uh, we're all going to take it and our spouses are going to take it. And we're going to see how, you know, is this instrument valuable? Is it going to be helpful for marriages? And so we're going to all get on, talk about our experience with it and what we've learned uh, by taking it. And then the final thing that we do as a podcast is we interview counselors. And one segment of that is we'll bring in a counselor who does marriage counseling and we'll pick a topic. Uh, We've done like personality dynamics. We've done trauma. We've done a lot of different topics in terms of interviewing uh, counselors either nationally or here in West Michigan. And a new segment that we've started is we interview counselors and we want to know how do you do marriage counseling? How are you unique? Uh, when it comes to counseling, you, all, you have all these different types of counselors and we want to learn from the counselors that we partner with here at Ada Bible Church, how do you do marriage counseling? And that's what today's episode is all about. Uh, we actually get to... Uh, Corey and I are going to interview Peter DeHaan. Uh, He is a fan favorite of Ada Bible. A lot of people come back to us and just really tell us Peter is an amazing counselor and has been so helpful to them. And so today, Corey, that's what Corey and I are going to do. We're going to find out, Peter, how do you do marriage counseling uniquely? And so I hope you enjoy this episode. So, Corey, we... uh, we're Hi, Kelly. together. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Good. How are you? Doing great. Uh, and uh, but we have the privilege. Uh, I love doing interviews with you with counselors. And yes. we're going to interview another counselor today. His name's Peter DeHaan. I'm Works so excited. For Centennial Counseling. But one of the things that we had talked about, we did this with Samuel, and we talked about that there are different types of counselors, mm. or maybe another analogy would be there are different flavors. Of counselors, Flavor. that reminds me of something that what? you did, Kelly. What you have a very 
large life-changing question that you ask about flavors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my favorite flavor of ice cream <laughs> is mint chocolate chip. Not even close. Number two. It's mint chocolate it's chip. all the way. Yep. Mint chocolate and chip. And what's yours? I think, I think today, because it changes every day. Come on. I think it would be mint chocolate chip too, Kelly. Awesome. I'm going to join you. I'm, I'm going to join you. Yes. Awesome. Yes. So Peter, welcome to the podcast. But the most important question we're going to ask you today <laughs> is what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? All right. Kept me up all night preparing <laughs> for this question, but I'm going to agree with Corey. It changes <gasps> every day. Mm. Yeah. And okay. So today I'm going to go with cookie dough ice cream. I, I feel sh- seen in this moment. Everyone. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I was sharing some with my kids over the weekend, watching Aww. the Lions lose. It was... Uh, it was an emotional moment. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. thanks for making this little, episode so uplifting yeah. by <laughs> reminding us of that. That's right. little emotional eating yes. there. Uh, there's, really quick, there is a place, and I'm from New Hampshire. There's okay. a place in New Hampshire that does more cookie dough. Their ratio of cookie dough to ice cream is more cookie dough mm. than ice cream, and it is top tier. Right. Top tier, if you're ever there. Peter, you got to go to New Hampshire. I know. All right. I've never been. Do you remember the there name you. of the place? Something, this is classic, something with a moose in it. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's like Moose Junction or something. <laughs> Good luck finding it. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Peter, like before we dive into like who you are as a counselor, uh, we want our listeners to know like, who are you? And so the first question would be like, uh, are you married? And maybe tell us a little bit about, uh, about that if you are. Yes, I am married. Uh, my wife and I, we're going on 10 years of marriage. Uh, we'll be celebrating that in May. Um, so definitely cool. looking forward to that. We have two young children, ages two and four. Uh, so they're a handful. They are <laughs> all over the place. They have their big emotions and Aww. every day is a, is another journey. So keeps well, us busy, young, yeah. gives Aww. me gray hairs, all, all of the above. <laughs> so fun ages, two and four. Parenting, the biggest blessing of my life, the biggest challenge of mm. my life. That's right. Yeah. 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 And I have two amazing sons. So, uh, what, uh. Tell, tell us a little bit about uh, Abby. Who is Abby, yeah, your my, wife? Yep, my wife, Abigail. Um, we've we've met, we've been together since high school. Um, high school so, sweethearts. That's Aww, right. Yep, very yep. fun. It, it happens. <laughs> it does. It can happen. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, and so over the years, we've been together about 16 years between dating and marriage. We dated about seven and a half years. So I guess, yeah, that's 17 years. And um, through that time, we've just seen a lot of growth in each other. It's been really cool to uh, be able to look back and see the growth that she's gone through and, and look back on my own journey and see where I've grown. Mm. Um, I think back to even early early in our college careers, she went one direction. She is um, now a pharmacist, so she works in the medical field. She works for Helen DeVos Children's Hospital, oh, wow. working in the, in the NICU. Yeah, I'm very proud of her. Um, she does great work. And then I went, obviously, more into a social field, so a lot of more of the feelings, right? Mm. So she works with equations and building compounded <laughs> medications and all this good stuff. And, and I talk to people, um, <laughs> but just kind of seeing some of the growth and, and for me to really be able to look across at my wife, even at the time when we were dating and say, and, and really recognize that there's something that she has that I don't have. And I want that. Mm. And so that really spurred me on for, for growth and development in some areas that maybe wouldn't have been on my radar, on my consciousness. And sure. so as we can look back and we can say, Hey, here are ways positively that I've been influenced by my wife, whether that was while we were dating or now into marriage and now into parenting with kids mm-hmm. two and four, for sure. And the same thing for her. And so uh, it's just really cool, really cool journey to look back on. Wow. Yeah. Significant others will do that. Yeah. They'll, they'll change you. In really? Good ways. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we I've changed at all. We should get Abby on here. Yeah. <laughs> Since being married to Julie, no, I've changed a tremendous amount. 
what's uh, uh, what's one thing that you really like about Abigail? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot, but what I what I really admire about her, and and I'll share this with clients too, is it seems like a really foundational or basic thing, um, but I know that I can count on her, and I've known mm. this for a long time. I can count on her to do the things that either she says that she'll do mm. or things that we would just kind of put in a category and say, well, you should do those things. Mm. And then I look at my own life and I say, how many things are there out there that I should be doing? And I struggle with them, mm. right? I might not get recognition or praise for them, but they're, they're things that are really hard to do consistently and over time. Yeah. And that is definitely a skill that my wife has. And it is, it's great for me in marriage. It's great for me. It is wonderful for our kids. Aww. And so that's one of the, the biggest things that stands out to me. A good example and integrity, it sounds like, too. Absolutely. Aww. That's really cool. I can't wait till she listens to this episode. Ah. Yeah. Oh, I know. Right. Uh, so uh, what do you like to do for fun? Last question. For fun? On the um, personal side. When I have free time, it usually revolves around activity or sports. And so... Um, my wife and I, in the past, when we've gone on vacation, we really haven't since we've had kids. Um, but it'll be a lot of hiking or just kind of getting out into nature. Um, oh, if I'm with any of my peer groups, typically we're playing sports, watching sports, kind of doing something, you know, physically active there. So being active, yeah. Yep. Are you guys pickleball people? Or my have wife you ventured? is not. I, I have played a lot of pickleball. I can't say that I'm great <laughs> at it, but I'm very familiar with it. Um, when I was in grad school down in Virginia. I joined a league at the YMCA and I was probably the only one under about 55 in that crew. So I was, I was a little bit of a living legend there for a them. pickleball a, league. That's right. Wow. Yep. Very yep. Fun. Seven days a week. I did not play seven days a week. They did. Wow. But We're finding out so much information. That's very right. fun. That's okay. Right. So you mentioned grad school. Yes. We'll kind of move into now counseling sure. land. Um, how did you land on counseling? Is this something that you know you've always wanted to do or how did you find your way to this career? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was something that I'm in high school and I'm like, this is what <laughs> I'm going to do, but I've always had this drive to help people. Um, mm. and so growing up being influenced by different mentors or different leaders has been a, a core part of, of my story and in what's been important to me and even recognizing some of those pieces in the moment. Mm. And so once I started to attend college, um, my first couple of years I was at CC, I was doing gen eds and it was really just kind of looking at it and saying, Hey, where am I good? Like, where are my skills and, and where are my deficiencies? Mm. Because there, I, I recognize and I know there's so many different ways to help people. And so really just kind of reflecting back on, on who I am and saying, Hey, how, how can I be a fit? How can I be of service? And so really looking at that, I had taken some, um, science classes. That was not my thing. Really struggled through those. <laughs> Cross that off yep. the list. Yeah. Actually, I had some wonderful teachers that helped me get through the class, but I just knew this, <laughs> this is going to get harder and it's harder. And, yeah. you know, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife was doing like biochem and all this. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, this is in my future. I'm out. Right. Yeah. None um, of that organic chemistry. Get yep, that out of here. Yeah, I never got there. <laughs> um, but it's just starting to look back and see like some of the psychology stuff and the social stuff was, Hey, there's, you know, it's, it comes easier. The grades are better. Um, and so starting to look at paths there. And, and then I spent a lot of time in prayer of just, Hey, what, what doors, you know, do you want me to walk through? Mm. And, um, I distinctly remember as probably right around 19 or 20 and just praying on it and just realizing like, Hey, I think getting into counseling is, is where I want to be. And school was always a challenge for me. But ever since that moment, when I committed to that, I've, 
I'm yet to encounter a, a truly closed door. Wow. I might have had to pivot sometimes or or make a lateral adjustment, but it's been pretty, I don't want to say smooth sailing, but sure. it's it's been uh, pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. And you've taken steps since then, t- since making that choice. Yeah. That's cool to hear. We love, I, th- I don't think we asked Sam that question, but. We did not ask yeah, Sam it's cool that to question. Hear. Yeah. It's like, I'm good we at. We have to ask that question from now on. That's <laughs> yeah. a great, great answer, Peter. I love your answer. Yeah. So, um, obviously we want you here and talk about your style of counseling, who you are as a counseling, get, you know, counselor, get that flavor of, you know, how you do that. Um, so what are some different kinds of, uh, counseling and specifically you do a lot of marriage counseling. Is that correct? Yep. I, I would say between marriage counseling and then I do a lot of addictions counseling as well mm. between those two things. It's going to take up, I would say about two thirds of my case, but I'm not exclusive in, like one niche or sure. or something, but it's definitely a, a large part of what I do. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. So talk us through some of the kinds of marriage counseling or, or the, um, what, what did you say? The, uh, um, techniques. Yeah. Yeah. Techniques or yeah. Techniques of marriage okay. counseling. So there are a lot of theories out there going through grad school. You learn a bunch, a bunch of them and you're what spend a week on each one. <clears throat> and mm. so for me, what I've been able to do is, is once I started getting into my career or doing um, internships is is where I started to focus on a few. And so what I use um, mostly and what I'm trained in and certified in is motivational interviewing. So it's going to tie into a lot of, into my background with substance use uh, counseling. Um, but I also drive a lot from CBT and then I do pull a little bit from solution focus and where that comes from. Solution focus is a lot of what was taught in my program at Liberty University. Mm-hmm. Um and then practically in my practice and in my professional career and professional development, it's been a lot of motivational interviewing and in CBT, yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy. So when we were talking a little bit before and you said motivational interviewing, I will admit I did a little Google searching because mm. I had never heard of that before. You can uh-huh. kind of guess at what it is, right? A little a bit little maybe. Bit. Yeah. Um, but it looked so interesting and so clear. So for someone who's never heard of that before, what what does that mean? What is motivational interviewing? Yeah, motivational interviewing, there's a lot of research behind it. It's considered an evidence-based practice. Um, and so what they found is is at a base level, it's it's an opportunity for, for counselors, clinicians, and then their clients or their patients to come together and really develop this collaborative and, and goal-oriented approach. Um, and so what you're really looking to do is elicit internal motivation for change. And if we can elicit mm. something that's internal rather than external, then it's going to be a lot more sustainable and the research is going to stand behind that the change that is made is going to be able to continue. Okay. So would you say that, um, and Kelly, you can jump in here too, would that motivational interviewing is a way to find out like next steps for counseling and what kind of like mode of therapy you use or is it a mode of therapy itself? It is. It is a mode of therapy. Um, And so for me, I will stay in motivational interviewing from beginning to end mm. in my time with a client for the most part, unless there are there are a few exceptions to that. But as a general rule, that's where I'm going to stand. And then what I'll do is I'll pull in or I'll fold in different interventions or theories or techniques from other other theories such as cognitive behavioral therapy or solution-focused therapy. Okay. So when you really start to dive into motivational interviewing, for me— as the clinician, I'm trying to do a few certain things in how I interact with the client to to really develop what we call rapport, which mm-hmm. you'll see across the board in counseling. Um, but to develop rapport, but then 
keep us focused on what are our goals. And so what I try to do is they, they call these the, the four main foundations of motivational interviewing. That's to express empathy. So empathy for whatever it is that the person is walking through is, mm. is thinking about changing, is struggling with. Um, and then one of the skills is to start to develop discrepancies. So when we talk about it being collaborative and goal-oriented, typically what's going to happen is the client's going to present some sort of challenge and they're going to say something along the lines of, this is what I'm doing, this is the outcome that I'm getting, and I don't like that balance. Mm. Does it mean I'm ready to change? It doesn't mean that I'm ready to change. It just means I'm starting to recognize that A is leading to B, and I don't, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And so what I want to start to do is start to use their own language or different things that they're talking about and saying, hey, here's your goal, but now you're saying this, or this is your goal and you're doing this. So I want to start to develop some discrepancies utilizing their own language for for me really to reflect back to them to look at and say, oh, how do I wrestle with this? How do Mm. I balance these things? And that can come up in the first session. That can come up a year down the road. And as I work with clients longer, it's like, hey, you know, I remember you telling me about this six months ago and now we're here. And sometimes we can utilize that as encouragement of look at this growth that we've had, right? We've we've had this same goal for a long time. And mm. sometimes the goals change, but we've had this goal for a long time. And six months ago, we were talking like this, and now we're talking like this. Very cool. Other The other two are rolling with resistance. So what we're recognizing is that change is very hard. And typically, we're getting into patterns of behavior where we're doing something for a reason. We don't just kind of stumble into something and say, oh, well, I do this and there would be no consequence to change or I'm not getting anything out of it. Well, typically we're doing things because we're getting something out of it. Mm. Even if it's not something that aligns with, say, our values or our morals or even just kind of how we think from a logic standpoint. Mm -hmm. It can be, well, I did this because it was easy, right? I did this because... It was convenient, and I didn't really have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece is supporting self-efficacy. So I want the client or we want people, anyone that we're in contact with, to to be able to do this for themselves. And so really it gets back to that same term I was using of um, sustainability. Okay, We want change to be sustainable. So if we can get that within them, then they can go and they don't have to come back and see me. My goal with people is not for them to have to come back. Yeah. Understanding that change takes time. And research is going to stand behind about six to 12 months, um, but not creating any sense of dependence or anything like that. I want to elicit that within them so then they can take those skills out into into their life. And, and what they'll find is, is as they do skills in one domain, they can apply those to other domains. So they might encounter a challenge right. a year or two years down the road and say, ah, I remember. I remember working. I'm going to work through this. this on my own. Yeah. I have the tools yeah. to do so, which is, yeah, I think the goal of, of counseling yeah. too. Yeah. And they would always be welcome back to see me out. I would never abandon sure. my clients or anything like <laughs> Thank that. Thank you for making that yes, clear. Yes. So as a, if I'm sitting in your, in your office, like I might not know that motivate, like that motivational interviewing is happening. That's just sure. how you, yep. that's just your practice for yeah. it too. Yep. You're not like, okay, now we'll begin motivational interviewing. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yes. It's going to be, it's going to be less like, um, interventions driven, like say CBT where you're going to be like, Hey, here's a worksheet or here's a handout. Okay. It's more of the skills that I utilize. So practically, when I'm meeting with clients, what I'm doing is I'm asking open-ended questions because I want to elicit talk out of them, right? I'm not going to ask a yes or no question. I'm going to ask something that's open-ended. Mm. And then what I'm going to do as I'm listening to them talk 
is I'm going to, I'm going to affirm certain things. So specifically what I'm going to be looking for is emotional words. I want to get into some of this emotional processing um, because emotions are going to be a big driver of a lot of why we do what we do, but then I'm going to reflect back to them what they say. And that's going to be a lot of, of the developing discrepancies. Hey, I heard you say this. I heard you say this. I'm utilizing your words, right? Or the client's words. And right. then the last piece is, is, is utilizing what's called summaries, but really that's just a long reflection of, Hey, I'm just going to add a little bit more here. Yeah. And then as things, as we look at more advanced techniques and, and there are a few of them, but what I really utilize is kind of going back to that emotion and my client might give me a statement of, Hey, I went through this and, you know, objectively speaking, I was here, I was late for this. And then, you know, I wasn't able to accomplish a certain goal. Okay. That's a pretty straightforward objective statement. I'm going to reflect that back and I'm going to say, yeah, you were late. That sounds really frustrating. Mm. So what I've done is I've just added an emotion. And mm. what's cool about this is I don't have to be right. And, it, and I don't really even have to guess because what happens is, is I just added that. And then typically the client's going to come back with one of two things. They're going to say, yeah, that was really frustrating. And then I get to have a conversation about frustration. Mm. Or they're going to say, you know what? It wasn't really frustrating. It was what it was, right? It was more sad that I lost an opportunity. Awesome. Mm. Now I could have an, a conversation with them about sadness. And so no matter what, all I've done is I've kicked it back over to their side of the table, but I've added a piece for them to accept or reject, but we've just guided the conversation towards that. And then digging a little bit more internally too. Yep. Very Absolutely. cool. Well, you so, mentioned, oh yeah, go ahead. So Peter, uh, you, um, you would uh, consider yourself a Christian counselor. I do. Yep. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what does that mean to you? And what do you bring to your clients uh, in terms of that? Mm. Yeah. Um, so I believe when, so I used the term earlier of rapport, of, de- of developing rapport. And so research is going to stand behind the the more rapport we have, the greater the, greater, uh, the opportunity for success for the client, whatever their goal is. Um, and I believe when we're building rapport, that's a relationship and that relationship is going to go two ways. And so in saying that, by me claiming Christianity in my personal life, that is going to come out in the counseling domain. Now, it doesn't mean that it comes up every session or it's the only thing that I talk about, but you're going to see that on various levels. So some of that's going to be direct and some of that is going to be indirect, but it's it's me being authentic as I'm asking my client to be authentic. And so there are times where my Christian views align with those of the client and we're going to be pretty overt about certain things and, and even certain topics like we get into forgiveness or well, what does forgiveness look like, mm. right? We can go back to the Bible or if it's a client who, okay, they know where I stand. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hide that from my clients. They know where I stand and um, you know, the practice I'm a part of, we're distinctly Christian. So they know what they're getting at least from my values when they come in. Mm. Um, but they might say, Hey, you know, I don't really believe that stuff. Okay, I'm still going to talk to you about forgiveness. I'm just not going to tie it back to the Bible. It's going to be the same exact conversation without pulling out a specific Bible verse or a passage or stuff like that. It's going to be the same things. Or I might, a lot of times when when I'm doing counseling, I like to utilize um, different metaphors for different things. And a lot of times they're metaphors for my own life, but I have a few that I go to and some come from stories like the Chronicles of Narnia. And so if I'm working with someone who is not a Christian or, you know, kind of it's like, hey, I don't want to don't want to go that direction. I'll just say, hey, here's a story in a book where this happens, right? And and one character does this, one character does What's that. What's one of your go-tos from Narnia? Ooh, yeah. Christian. One one of my favorite scenes is uh I'm gonna forget exactly what book, so maybe you guys can tell me, but there's a scene where 
where Jill first enters into Narnia and she gets separated from Eustace. And so she doesn't really know mm. where she is. And, and so she's kind of wandering about and she gets thirsty. And so she hears, she hears the stream or the river and she starts to approach the stream and then sees Aslan there. Yeah. She doesn't know who Aslan is. So she's looking at him like, oh, you're a lion. And so they start to have this conversation and they're talking and, and Aslan reveals that, that he's good and, and Jill's heart is starting to say like, oh, you're a good lion. And then she, she asks Aslan, she says, well, you tell me you're good, but what I see is a lion. Mm. How do I balance mm. this? Right. And Aslan then says to her, well, I am a lion and I have eaten girls in the past. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. Respect me essentially. But here's the water. He's just laying there. If I remember right, the, Aslan the lion yeah. is laying by the river yep. and ultimately ends with her going and getting, getting water from, from this, from the stream or the river. But when we start to look at things in life, so how I use this as a metaphor is we have to respect things for what they are. We can talk about it in straightforward, like let's respect Jesus and the holiness of God. Absolutely. But we also have to respect other things in our life of, Hey, this has power and we have to respect that power, even though we think we're utilizing it for good. If that makes sense. I really like that, yeah. Peter. That's awesome. Yeah. I really like that analogy. So on that note too, one of the other things I want us to highlight is you have this addiction specialty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's it like to work with a couple? Because we often at Ada get calls, you know, hey, my husband or my wife is addicted to drugs or alcohol or yeah. whatever. Very much so. How do you work with uh, within a marriage context uh, where one or maybe both, we'll leave it here at just one person. Sure. But um, how do you do that work? That's a big one. Um, and in what it oftentimes look like is a really long process. Um, mm -hmm. So a couple of things that stand out to me right away when we have anything like addiction, whether it's in a marriage context or just an individual context, um, research is going to stand behind. We're going to treat the addiction first. Because what we have to do is we have to remove that from the equation. Otherwise, anything else that we're doing, we're potentially just spinning our wheels and saying, hey, you know, we were doing this, we wanted this outcome, but we had this huge variable. And we don't exactly know what this variable, being addiction, is doing to this whole equation. Mm. And so when we remove addiction, that we might find that the addiction was simply magnifying or exacerbating a symptom, or we might find that it was hiding something else. And typically, you're going to get a little bit or a lot of bit of both of those things. And so when we move in that direction, and especially with marriage counseling, like it's really tough because what you're going to find is that the the addicted spouse is going to be at a way different place when it comes to motivation. They're going to be way further down the path. And then the spouse yeah. who is does not have the addiction is like, hey, I'm ready to go. Yeah. I'm ready to start to do these things. And so... What I have to do as a counselor is is work this really long process to get them to the same space to then build together. Mm. And when I say the same space, not physically the same space, but emotionally, hey, we're in the same place to to start to build together. So a lot of times it's it's taking the addicted party and working them through that. And and the reality is if if one spouse has an addiction, we don't know where they're at with regards to their stages of change. Right. Um, and so they might say, yeah, I, I have a problem, but I don't want to fix it. Mm -hmm. And so then how do we start to reconcile some of those things? That could be a really long process. Or they can say, yeah, I have a problem. I want to fix it. Well, again, research is going to stand behind six to 12 months before we've really gotten a handle on this. 
and found any kind of sustainable solutions. Right. So it can be really hard for the other party, the, the spouse, to say, hey, I'm having these problems, right, within the marriage, but we're spending all of this time focused here. So practically, what I will do is I'm going to assess for, and this is through motivational interviewing, I'm going to assess for the stages of change for each party. And again, it typically works out once at the beginning, the addictive parties at the beginning, and and the, the spouse is ready to be in the action stage, which is the second to last stage. Um, and then when you say beginning too, is mm-hmm. that like, what is the beginning? Like a beginning stage? Yeah. Yeah. So when I utilize something like stages of change, there are five stages of change. And they are pre-contemplation is the first, that's, that's the base level. And that's essentially saying, I recognize that there's a problem, right? Or so I recognize I'm, I'm having a problem, but I'm not thinking about change. I'm like, hey, like maybe I'm starting to see negative consequences. I might not have even linked them back to the problem behavior, but I'm aware that there is a problem. Gotcha. But I'm not, I'm not contemplating changing it. And then when we move into the, the second stage, which is contemplation, that is, I know what the problem is. I know what the, you know, the negative outcomes are, and I'm thinking about changing it. Now, what's important to note there is we haven't committed to changing, mm-hmm. right? We're just like, hey, I'm thinking about changing. Yeah. And we can look at this from drastic things, and there's tons of research on it, specifically with addictions. Um, but even just to like everyday things, like think of New Year's resolutions, we could, we could mm. put in here too, right? And how often do those fail? <laughs> So contemplation is looking at, hey, here's a problem. Here's what I'm doing. Here's a negative consequence. I want something else. So really to wrap up the contemplation stage is making a commitment to change, to say, hey, I want to practice change behavior. Well, the third step is preparation for change. This step is the step that is almost always missed. This is why New Year's resolutions fail. We come up with an idea sometime in the last week of the year. We say, hey, I'm going to do this. This is the outcome I want. Yeah, okay. But like I said in the beginning, usually we have patterns of behavior because it's working for us, Mm -hmm. right? It might not be the best. It might not always align with our values and morals, but it's working for us for a reason. And we don't take the time to really say, hey, what is the cost to change? Because there's always going to be a cost to change. Mm. And so we look at this preparation stage and we understand we still haven't started to make change yet. And Mm -hmm. that's okay in this model, right? We obviously want to get to making change. But we really need to start to prepare for it. The what action, are some of the yeah. challenges that I'm going to face, whether it's time, whether it's energy, again, whether it's values or morals or anything like that? What is this cost going to be? And then understanding that this cost is going to cost me over time. It's not, hey, I got to make this decision once. Okay, I made the sacrifice the second day in and I won't have to make that sacrifice again. No, it's going to keep happening over and over. So then you're looking at developing even some, some um proactive coping skills of, hey, when I encounter this challenge, how am I going to work through it, mm-hmm. right? And so then you so you wrap up the preparation stage by saying, hey, I feel like I got a pretty good plan. I'm ready to start to put this in motion. Then you move into the fourth stage, which is action. So now I'm starting to do some of these things I've prepared for. I'm doing the change behavior. I'm working through that. Mm. If we can successfully stay in this action stage for about six to 12 months, where the research comes from, then I'm going to move into the final stage, which is maintenance. So mm-hmm. I've been able to make this change, but it's still a stage of change because there's still work required. We still have to maintain this or else we'll go back. But from a mental standpoint, it's way easier to maintain something than it is to change and get something established. Mm. So going back to your original question, an addicted party is going to tend to be in that pre-contemplation or contemplation when they come into counseling. Like there might be something wrong, yep. but I don't, yeah. Sure. They're okay. recognizing it, hence why they're here, right? Like I'm here because my spouse doesn't like that I'm, 
drinking, doing drugs, viewing mm. pornography, whatever that addiction might be, right? Gambling is another big one. Um, and then the spouse is going to be in that action stage. They're like, hey, stop drinking and mm. these problems will go away, right? Like it's that easy. It's cut and dry to yeah. them. And, and that's not really the reality of what's going on. Right. Maybe last question about the your work with um, people who have addictions. How How much of, or what's the percentage of people who come to you, maybe cold call of like, hey, I have this going on. And I need help versus like my spouse thinks I need help. Ha. Bring them in. You know, like what is that percentage of people willingly or like forcefully? <laughs> yeah. Made us great bed. question. Corey. I, I don't know what it would be like across the board, but from sure. what I've seen, um, I would say, honestly, I do get more people that are coming in for themselves um, okay. than not. But so if I had to guess, I'd say, I don't know, two thirds, one third. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Leaning in the direction of, of looking at themselves, but it's definitely a thing where, Clients come in and it's like, my husband is the problem or my wife is a problem and just make sure. this go away. And, yeah. and sometimes I say this to a lot of clients, we can make a lot of statements and we can make a lot of true statements, but it doesn't mean it's the only true statement. So they can come in and they can say, mm. yeah, you know, this is a big problem and it is a big problem. It's just sure. not typically the only problem. Hmm. Yeah. So good, Peter. So good. So uh, what do you like about being a counselor? What don't you like? Yeah, I really, I really like, I'm going to kind of go back to Christian values, but it's for, for me when, when I do counseling and we start to see success or breakthroughs, it really takes me back to one of my favorite characteristics about Jesus in, in that he's a redeemer. There are so mm-hmm. many times when I look at a situation and I'll feel my, my human heart and it'll be like, there's, we don't, this isn't going to work out well. Right. Mm. But you do the work, you sit in it, and sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's two years, and all of a sudden you have this breakthrough, and you're like, wow, there's been little changes along the way, but this just happened, and Jesus just redeemed this situation. It does not absolve the things that happened before, but we redeemed, whether that's a situation or a person, it is so incredible. And so I've always, I can't say always, but pretty quickly into my professional career, I've just said, hey, if I look at an entire caseload, anywhere from like 20 to 40 clients at any given time. If I can just have one that's making change, mm. right? And, and feeling that that redemption, that power is so intense that it gets me through every other session where it's like, hey, because I I felt this and it carries over mm-hmm. everywhere. And that just gives me hope and that gives me resiliency to say, hey, this is this is awesome. And and there are there are seasons where a lot lots of people are are growing. And then there are seasons where there's it's it's pretty stagnant and there's not a lot of growth. And then for me, you know, automatic negative thoughts or, you know, my core lies of like, Hey, I'm not very good at my job. Mm, Like none of, none of my clients are, are progressing or moving forward. And, and some of the stuff for me sitting in my seat, I'm like, I know I got the answer for you. Right. Oh wow! But they just don't want to pick it up. Now I recognize I do the same thing in my own life with certain things, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like you you could have my wife in here and she'd be like, Hey Peter, I'm just going (laughs) to give you just five things, right? This will just make your life go so much better. I'll be like, Hey, you're not wrong, but I'm probably not going to do those five things, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? Any of those five things. But so when I sit there and and, and you go through the season where change isn't happening or um, the most painful for me is actually in marriage counseling when one of the parties is is just checked out. And mm-hmm. that makes it really hard for me to watch. I definitely empathize with with the other spouse. I believe in the power of marriage. I love my marriage. I want everybody to experience this. So when I see someone sitting there fighting for their marriage and their spouses just like, Hey, I'm here cause you want me to be here. And this is all you're going to get from me. Yeah. Right. Mm, that is hard. And, and so that's, that's really, really hard for me to, 
to sit in. Yeah. And not want to yell or not <laughs> do something. Yeah. yeah maybe. Right. Like but, it's not even yelling. It's just, yeah. it's just this deep discouragement of, yeah. you know, and it goes back, it goes right back into stages of change. You can see they're just sitting in pre-contemplation. They're like, I'm not going to move. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if they're not going to move, we're not going to experience change. Unfortunately. Right. Well, thanks for sharing some of your heart in that too. I mean, counseling, when you're seeing people struggle with these deep, deep things too, like that can be hard and probably like, so yeah, question your soul of like, oh, what am I doing wrong? Well, Mm. none of my couples in here are making changes. That's going to be really hard too. But that one moment that you do or experience that redemption is Mm. like so worth it probably too. Um, a little bit before when we were talking, um, you gave your couples sometimes some homework when you first start. Um, and I think there's a really, like you asked them one question to think about, right? I think, or you give them a statement. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, when it comes to how, how I would say I would have a style or a flavor, right. Mm-hmm. Um, is when couples come in, the, the main thing that I like to really get to and then build from there, I look at this as a foundation piece is, is understanding that we only have control of ourselves. So in a marriage or any relationship, um, it takes both of us to push the yes button or the growth button to move in the positive direction, right? Mm, but, I I can only, but I can only push my button, mm-hmm. right? I can only decide to do that. And so at a foundational level, what I want my clients to understand is they're going to be in control of them. And this will go a lot of different directions, but in doing that, I'll go through a first session with clients um, specifically marriage and just kind of get an assessment, understand what's going on, different pieces, maybe rule some, some things out. Um, and then I get to the end and I tell them, I give them a statement. I say, Hey, I want you guys to talk about it. Um, and, and what that statement is, is that you are not responsible for your spouse, but you are responsible to your spouse. And then I make them go home because they always got questions like, hey, what's the answer, yeah. right? And the answer ultimately comes down to you're not responsible to your spouse. You're responsible for yourself. And then we got to dig into that and say, like, what is that? Well, I'm, I'm responsible for my emotional processing. I'm responsible for what I bring to the table, right? I'm not responsible for my spouse. So I'm not responsible for when they come home and they're in a bad mood or hey, I, I did an act of service for them, but it didn't go how they liked and they were disappointed, mm-hmm. right? I'm not responsible for that. That is, that is their emotional cycling. And when we really look at it in our daily life, I use this example all the time, is I know that I could go home and when I go home, my wife likes it when I bring her flowers. So Aww. I can bring those flowers, but, but what won't happen is every time I bring her flowers, my goal is to make her happy, but it's not always going to make her happy Mm. because someday she comes Mm. home and there's been death or loss at work. Mm. And, you know, and those are innocent babies that she's working with. And that's really hard. And the flowers are like, Hey, thanks for the gesture, but I'm still not happy. Right. Right? So here's Mm. me saying, I did something to try to influence that. And that's not a bad thing, but I don't have control over that. Right. In, in my personal life and, and through counseling, the only emotion that I've truly seen that we might be able to bat a thousand percent on with our spouse is hurt. Mm. And that's obviously not what we want to do, right? And so that's getting into the other component of we are responsible to our spouse. So what is it that we're doing? And it boils down to that word of doing. Mm. So at a base level, what I want my clients to do is focus on actions and service and say, hey, this is going to get back into CBT as well, but um, 
I can influence this environment. I'm not responsible for what my spouse picks up or leaves there, but I am responsible to cultivate an environment and that's going to come through service and that's going to come through growth um, or it's going to come through service and that's going to come through actions. And that is I'm going to create an environment where my spouse can grow. So what is it that I'm bringing in? So then I'll use terms like life-giving versus life-taking, right? We can we can have a conversation and we can make statements that are life-taking statements. We're like, ah, but we're responsible to our spouse. We shouldn't be doing or making life-taking statements. Right. We want to be life-giving. And again, that doesn't mean that we're responsible for them to meet their goals or to be perfect in their emotional regulation because at the end of the day, they're not going to, to bat a thousand on that and mm-hmm. neither are we. And so- as we move forward and we start to hit these pieces of resistance where it's like, hey, okay, I understand that it's my area of control and, and I'm doing my job and I'm and I'm doing my job every day or I've been doing it for a week or two. I'm weeks. in it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And but my spouse isn't doing their part. Mm. So here's my challenge to them, and this is a challenge I have for myself too, and I've utilized this in my own life, is can I serve my spouse every single day, even when I'm not being served in return? Wow. What a and, good question. Mm, very I good question. That. And when you talk about bringing in a Christian peace, when I have couples that are willing to talk about it, this is where Jesus comes in. This is the triangle where every day, if if me and my spouse are 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 both pursuing Jesus, we're going to draw closer together because we're both running for the same goal. We may never be in lockstep, but a lot of times what this looks like is we'll go through seasons where we're serving our spouse and our spouse is dropping the ball. I'm guilty of it too in my own life. Um, And so what we're doing is we're drawing closer to Jesus and we're taking a lot of this and saying, hey, I got to lay this at the foot of the cross. What does forgiveness look like? Well, when my spouse lets me down in whatever, right? It could could be because they just simply forgot or Mm. it could be be malicious too. Either way, um, when they let me down, I feel pain and, and I'm hurt. And um, what ultimately happens is, is that that's a sin or that's an offense against me. I'm worth more than that because mm. we are, right? And so what happens or what we can do is we can start to understand that that sin, that offense against us is exactly what Jesus died on the cross for. Wow. And so what we can do is we can take that hurt and we can give that to Jesus because that is what he died for. Um, I was uh, one of my pastors um, was just talking about forgiveness and he he just made this statement. I don't know if he like meant to make it a point or whatnot, but it hit home with me. And he said, every sin that happens in this world has one of two things happen to it. It's either eternally damned in hell or Jesus has redeemed it. Mm. He has forgiven it. His blood is over that. So what am I doing when I'm being offended against is I'm taking that to Jesus and saying, this is what you died for. I'm giving this to you because this is what you died for. And that helps us to then obviously get some peace and and draw closer to Jesus, but then it can develop resiliency in us to say, hey, yeah, I'm serving my spouse, but I'm really, I'm serving Jesus. Yeah, well, and how to flip that to, yeah, this is bigger than just sitting here in our living room, you know, and we had a stupid fight kind of a thing. Yeah, well, it sounds like you hit the ground running with your, um, clients too. Like you're like, okay, welcome. Mm -hmm. Here's some homework I have for you. And you kind of turn it back on them to start doing the homework and like doing the work themselves, which is, it's, that's what I like interviewing counselors too about and how the the process, it's very cool to hear how you guys do all the things. And pretty early on, I will explain to clients that when, when they come in to my office, that's, that's not really real life. 
right? Mm. It's not something that's sustainable. Real life is happening in the home and we're not doing counseling in the home, right? Mm -hmm. So they're coming into my office or meeting virtually and it's a safe place. And, and, and part of that is what I cultivate and what I develop and, and how do I, how I direct that, but also just the reality of there's a, there's another set of eyes on us, right? So my spouse or me, I'm going to watch my language a little bit more. So it's a little bit safer place for us to open up and dive into things. What I tell them is our time together is an opportunity for us to increase awareness. And it's your time at home when you follow up and have these conversations and then practice the skills or get the feedback from your spouse and say, hey, here's a direction that we want to go. This is what communication looks like for me. This is what love looks like for me. This is interpretation. As we as you practice those at home, that's where you're going to grow. You're mm-hmm. actually not going to grow in my office. We're just going to increase awareness. You're going to grow when you do this outside of the office. You're going to grow that. when you do this in, in your real life. Love that. Yeah. Peter, uh, we definitely have to have you back because... Uh, we have on the docket to talk about affairs, but we're not going to have enough time to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, addictions is a big conversation. Affairs yeah. is too. I actually want to have you back on and talk about addictions as well. Yeah. Um, just to focus on that. And then we'll have you on again for affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just, I've been really blown away by this conversation. Uh, just one more kind of question for me. And that is, uh, we, I often get this from people who are calling the church and that is like, uh, how long does marriage counseling take? Mm. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people think, uh, yeah, it'll only take like one or two sessions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, uh, probably not. Uh, but like, what would, how would you answer that question in terms of your style and how you work with couples and a typical couple for you? Like how long does, uh, counseling last for them? Yeah. So obviously there's exceptions to every rule. Um, and a lot of it is going to be client driven. So it's not uncommon for me to have a couple come in and meet once or twice and and then ultimately not follow through. But to see to see growth and change, I, I usually prep my clients for about six months to a year. Um, and, and what I'm trying to do there is, is give things enough time um, because what we're going to see is if we want change and we want to practice, we need time to go by. So mm. what I'll tell clients is if, if you think 10 sessions is what you want, then I'm going to probably want to meet with you a couple of those sessions every other week to start, but then I'm going to want to meet with you monthly because I'm more concerned with time passing than I am with how often that I see you. Now, if we're meeting once every three months, it's hard to, to get traction. So you're wanting to balance that. Um, and so typically I, I, I assess for what is sustainable and I balance that between weekly or biweekly to start. And then once things stabilize and we say, hey, like we're getting these things down, we're getting close to our goals. Then what I tell them is, is I want to meet with you monthly for three months just to make sure we're passing through that final stage of change into that maintenance and allowing time to pass to say, hey, we encountered a setback or we encountered a challenge. Um, and so so my goal is balancing. I want time to address it. I want to respect the time of my clients. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want them to become dependent on me. I don't want them to become dependent on this environment for us to talk about things and then we don't do it outside of that because that's not going to be sustainable change. So usually it's six to 12 months is what I prepare them for. Um, but then always, whether I've seen a client one time or I've seen them every week for three years, they're always my client. So if something comes up down the road, Hey, you want to get back in? I'm going to make that happen. If something comes up down the road and I said, Hey, I, you know, I'm looking for something in this domain and maybe it's not something I'm trained in or certified in. Um, I'll, absolutely. I'm going to help you get connected with someone, whether that's in my group practice where mm. I have a lot of relationships or outside, hey, I've heard good things about here. I've heard good things about here. Please feel free to drop my name. I might even coordinate something um, to say, hey, I'm getting you in contact with 
with someone else. But if any needs come up, I, I will always respond to the clients. Yeah. I love what you said too, about it's the passing of time. Not just like, I got to get you in every week. It's that helps reframe for me. I think what that looks like for you too. Yeah. So you mentioned your practice. Mm -hmm. um, if people are listening to this episode or yeah. want to follow you afterwards, if we do another uh, addictions or a fair, you know, a fair episode, um, what, how can they get a hold of you or your practice? What would be yeah. some next steps for people? So I am part of the group practice Centennial Park Counseling. We are distinctly Christian. And so that's, that's one of the main things. Everyone sits down. We're all making sure that we're on the same page there. And that's how we advertise to the community. So, um, that's, that's right at the forefront of what we do. So if, mm. if anyone wants to reach out, um, you can look us up online. We have a website, Centennial Park Counseling, um, or give us a phone call. Our number is 616 nine, four, nine, nine, five, five, zero. We got people answering the phones, uh, nine to five every business day. Um, and we're just located, uh, 28th street, right across from the Cascade Meyer there. Awesome. So 28th and craft is, is where we're located. Very so. centrally located. I might have. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. Yes. Well, you can tell Peter too, that you are so passionate about what you do. And so, um, knowledgeable in your, in your craft. And I think, you know, with the, um, addiction specialty and all of that, like there's so much knowledge there. So thank you for sharing a lot of that today. That's yeah. been very cool. Thank you guys for having me on. It's been a joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Peter, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And definitely we're going to have you on again. And I shared this in the intro, but I want to share it with you. Uh, this, uh, for our audience, this is actually the first time I've met Peter in person and I've only heard like People go see Peter and they've reached back out to us and said, Peter's really the real deal as a counselor. So I wanted to make sure to tell you that. And thank you. We've had multiple people reach back to Carrie mm. and say, wow, thank you for sending us to, to Peter. He's been amazing. So thank you for being on the podcast. And again, mm. we are definitely having you <laughs> on again. Sounds good. Thank you guys. Well, listeners, we pray that you've been really impacted by uh, our interview today with Peter and, uh, Again, I hope you can take away something from uh, our conversation. And uh, again, if you are seeking a marriage counselor, please reach out to us. Uh, we we uh, network, partner, connect with uh, probably close to 60 different counselors in the West Michigan area. And we have some amazing counselors uh, who do just great work. And so if that's uh, where you're at, please reach out to care at adabible.org. Another thing that I really hope you do is we want to hear from you. Like, what do you think of the podcast? And probably most importantly, is there a topic that you want us to explore? We're always looking for new topics to explore. And we'd love to hear, like, what do you want to listen to? So please do that. And uh, for Corey and I, this has been a great episode and we hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to Together. We hope you've learned a thing or two. If you find the podcast helpful, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your listening platform. Leave a comment and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like more information on Ada Bible Church and its ministries or someone to pray or dialogue with about your marriage, go online and check out our website at adabible.org.